<clears throat> Damn. Hopefully the mic doesn't pick that up. All right. So here's the deal. I'm going to Portugal on Monday and I should have had a guest in front of me, but they canceled on me last minute. Couldn't find a different guest. So here we are with AMA number four. I'm counting these now. It's not going to be Q&As. It's going to be AMAs. And I still had a lot of questions, which I hadn't answered yet. Luckily for me. So we can do this episode. So you know the drill. Get seated. Get comfy. I'll do the same. And we'll kick it off. What do you look for in a guest? And how do you pick them? I look for passion. That is usually the only thing, obviously, other than having a good mic, good camera, and speaking a bit of English is passion about a certain subject because I feel like I have an innate sense of curiosity and when someone is really passionate about that, I like listening to that, learning about that also for myself and I think that makes for a good episode. So I think the biggest factor in finding a guest is passion and usually I reach out to a lot of people and then we have a discussion and I ask, what are you passionate about? Some people give me a certain set of topics they've talked about on a conference. And that's not really the same as what I want for the podcast because that's more so I feel like prehashed content might have to do with their passion, but it's different than having an actual conversation about that, right? That's more so presenting. So then I'm like, no, no, no. That is maybe what you've talked about before, but I want to know what you're really passionate about. Might not be what you talk about, but it might be something completely different. And that's then where the conversation usually lands. For me, that's enough topic-wise to have this conversation. Some people are kind of get, how do you say that, maybe put off by that a little bit. They want questions and uh, they want me to send them in advance. And I don't do that. I've done that in the past. I've made a mistake with that. So we're not doing that again. Uh, some people are like, well, if I don't have the questions, then we can't do it. And then I have to be like, okay, then we can't do it. Well, sad face, I guess. <laughs> But that's how we roll. So that's how I find guests, mostly on LinkedIn. Nobody replies to me on Twitter. Um, maybe it's because of the whole blue checkmark thing or because I'm not really on Twitter. But no one replies on Twitter. On LinkedIn, everyone replies. Very friendly people. I like people on LinkedIn. How do you keep your technical skills up to date? That's an interesting one. I keep them up to date just by doing my day-to-day -day job, I feel like. I'm in a lot of subreddits. I'm that guy that browses a lot on Reddit. Um and currently I'm programming on Google Cloud Platform, Ingo, uh, in an IoT domain. So then technical wise, I try to be up to date on whatever needs to be done. And that's kind of hard because something you have to do, sometimes you have to do something new. Um, can't really go into a lot of things, but we have had to deal with metrics, for example. Uh, so I had to figure that out. But I don't think that's a technical skill. Maybe it's, you have to have a certain sense of, analytical prowess I feel like to figure things out so then how do I keep up to date I think it's more so doing things on a day-to-day -day basis right I make sure I just by virtue of programming every day I feel like I stay up to date especially on the programming language that I like in Go uh, sometimes we do some JavaScript sometimes some React but that varies basically um, in another sense I give trainings as well uh, specifically on Go so in that sense, I feel like whenever I find an interesting problem that we've solved in an interesting way through a certain programming language concept, I feel like I can fit that in the training. So I make little notes. And when we have to give that training again, I try and update the material. So it's also up to date. Um, so not really a feel like a cookie cutter answer. I don't think there's a mold for everyone or that fits everyone rather. It's just your own kind of spin on things. 
I read not so much, just read it. I don't really listen to programming language podcasts. I don't really think that makes sense. Um, I ask a lot of questions. I talk to a lot of people, try and figure out how they've solved certain problems. And I collaborate a lot. I feel like that's my default mode. Like I had to do like a psychological assessment recently. And one of the things that came out is I am a team player. I'm a collaborator. When I'm stuck, I ask for help. And I like working together and solving problems together rather than tackling it alone. Doesn't mean I can't do it. I just feel like I'm more productive if we do this thing together. I think a team is more productive as a team rather than a group of individuals. Um, so maybe that's how I keep my skills up to date as well. That's more so on the technical stuff, on the soft skill stuff. How do I keep up to date? I like to follow a lot of, like we have a study budget, a training budget, and I haven't spent any money on more so the technical stuff, more so on the soft skill related stuff. Like I did a training on insight and influence, and that was like a five day training, lots of role playing, different communication styles. I was very fond of that. Earlier in my career, I did a lot of trainings on more so the Scrum methodology um, or the framework rather. So I did a product owner training, Scrum master training. I did like an analytics engineer training, more so based on curiosity and also a more understanding of how the process should work or how a team can function optimally within that process. So I think that's it. What programming languages do you use currently? It's a lot of Go. Just Go. Very fond of Go. Did some vanilla JavaScript in us previous projects, some React for a few years actually in previous projects as well. Other than that, it's actually just Go. And I, I'd like to keep it that way. I'm not a guy that tries to do everything programming language related. We had an innovation day and I fiddled around with Rust and I was like, man, things are unnecessarily complex. I feel like there's a big hurdle in getting started knowledge-wise. And with Go, I like the simplicity. So I'd like to keep it that way. I like to be practical. I feel like I'm results-oriented. And when I have to figure out how a language works, when I want to get stuff done, I feel like that's more so in my way of getting the actual thing done. Um, so yeah, that's the stuff I use. How do you find time for both your job and creating the podcast? Do you have any productivity tips? Interesting. I... Like my job, I like doing the podcast. I found a way to combine them. So the company Xebia that I work with, they sponsor the podcast. So I get a few hours here and there. And we try to keep it in balance with the input that I have to do outside of work. So I get a few hours like out of my 40-hour work week. And then the other stuff I do with my own time. And productivity-wise, I've tried to make this whole podcast process because that's the smallest slice like in my week. Mostly it's still consultancy. I've tried to make it as easy as possible because I feel like if it's not easy, it's not going to be sustainable, right? I want to try and put out a week-by-week -week episode, which means every week I need to have at least one guest or I need to have stuff prepared so that I can air things. We need to edit. I need to have the marketing process, the text, the description, the thumbnails, the whole shebang, basically. Um, and before then, I need to find the guests and schedule the recording and do the actual conversation. It's weird because in the beginning, I got a lot of help with it. Then I more so everything went on my own plate. And I think I've streamlined the process in such a way that it's sustainable more so in the long run, right? I find people, we have a certain short conversation. I try to keep it as short as possible. The conversation part, the actual recording, I've gotten better and better at. I'm still improving, obviously. I'm not there where I want it to be. But I feel like that's more so streamlined. 
So then the content creation part is pretty good. The editing I used to do myself, Roald does it now. Hopefully you can do that more in the future. We have to figure out how that it's gonna work, but that's gonna ha- be a conversation we're gonna have soon. And then the actual release process, I think I, I've got it down to a T. I used to be, how, how do you say that? Very stressed out. And it would take me a really long time to figure out a title and a description. The most simplistic things, well, now I think of, they should be simplistic, but it used to take me a lot of time and energy because I felt like, okay, I have this episode, content solid, everything around it. Like if you have a gift, then it, this is your gift wrapping, right? This is what people see. The thumbnail, the title, and the description, basically. And I would spend, I think, a lot more time trying to figure out the perfect phrases and stuff like that. And now I feel like the title comes more naturally, but the description, I just put my thoughts on there and I accept that it's not perfect because it saves me a lot of time, saves me a lot of stress, and it's never going to be perfect anyway. I don't think I get judged for a description. I just put my thoughts on there. I think that's final. I've tried playing around with ChatGPT, but ChatGPT talks like I do not talk. So then it gives me like a whole description. And I'm like, this is just not me. Like I, I can't use almost any of this. I've fed it my description and I was like, okay, what do you think of this? And it roasted me to the ground. It was like, <laughs> there's no structure. You go from A to B to Z, all of a sudden didn't make any sense. And then it prefaced that with, I'm an AI tool. I don't have an opinion. And then it continued to roast me. I did the same with the title, and then it said the same thing. Uh, AI tool, don't have an opinion. And then it was like, but it looks pretty good. Like, it looks like stuff people would search <laughs> and click on. So, yeah. Um, where was I? What was the question? Uh, yeah, I found a way to balance it by virtue of making the process as simple as possible. I think that's basically it. There's no secret sauce, right? Try and streamline everything. Try and automate as much as possible. Um, I kept figuring out things I wanted to add on top of things, um, which I did. But again, those needed to be as simple and as doable as possible. I only did, for example, subtitle generation or subtitles on uh, shorts when they were auto-generated. When I couldn't auto-generate them way back when, maybe a year back, maybe two years back, those shorts or little clips don't have subtitles because there was no tool for me to auto-generate subtitles. Auto-generated subtitles are not perfect anyway, so we still have to go in and correct them. But I wasn't going to basically write everything down by myself. I I didn't think that was worth it, so we didn't do it. Now it's more streamlined, it's more simple, so we can do it, so we do it. I feel like that process, you have to find a balance for yourself. You can't do everything from the start. You have to get better at the small things, the bigger chunks, and then streamline the process so you can do more things. And the more streamlined it is, the more sustainable it's going to be. Oh man, I am starving. I don't think I've ever been this hungry sitting in front of the camera. How did you make your hobby a part of your job? I think I've told the story on how we started this podcast. I think during episodes and maybe even during a Q&A, but there was an opportunity for me to start the podcast and it wasn't a hobby. Hmm, maybe it was a hobby. I used to listen to a lot of podcasts, now a lot less because I travel less, but I think it's something I want to pick up. Regardless of that, so I had always listened to podcasts and I got the opportunity to create one, put my vision on something, but I wouldn't have labeled it as a hobby. Looking back now, maybe maybe it was. But the thing is, so then you come into this flow of, okay, all of a sudden you own this thing, you want to do this thing, you acknowledge it's a hobby and you need time from work all of a sudden because I didn't get time at the beginning. So then 
basically, I went to my manager. I said, the only way we can do this is I need time, basically. Otherwise, it's not sustainable. It's not realistic for me to do this. Everything in my own time. And then we came to kind of a balance agreement of, okay, you get X amount of time per episode. And that's what I needed because I was facilitated through other means. There was a co-creator involved in the early stages. So that's how we started. I think if you find something, whether it's content creation or I think in tech, it's mostly content creation, but it can be something else as well. I think go to the people that can make it happen, have that dialogue with them. There's nothing to lose, I feel like. I think there's only things to gain, right? If there's a super cool project that's in a domain which is coincidentally in line with your hobby, then why wouldn't you put yourself in that position that you might be able to work on that, right? I feel like it'll give you more fulfillment at the end of the day. It has definitely given me more fulfillment in my job because to be honest, there was a lot of things during COVID and I wasn't really as happy in my job as I am now. I wasn't doing the podcast. I actually looked outside as well. I, I like looking outside, peeking my head out of this hole and seeing what's out there opportunity wise. But the reason I never switched is because all of a sudden, like here I can be entrepreneurial. I could start this podcast and I can still do things that give me a certain sense of fulfillment. So why don't you like reach out and seek those opportunities for yourself? I think it's possible to combine your hobby and your work. You just have to really figure out how to do it and reach out to the people that can make it happen. Advocate for yourself and uh, it'll end up all right, hopefully. Oh, this one is funny. What is a common misconception about working as a software engineer? The misconception is that we program 100% of the day, that people are just like hoodie on and uh, typing away. Like, man, you see a lot of movies that just do that and that everyone's a nerd, that uh, the <laughs> it has a negative connotation, nerd. And I definitely, I also don't like the word techies. I don't know. It just, it just hits me wrong. And people love using that, for example. I just zone out when someone uses that. In any case, that we program 100% of the time. I don't think that's true. We always work with people. It's a lot of people aspects. And I think I mentioned this before in a previous episode. It is not what I expected coming into this field. I thought, just by virtue of all the media that's out there, the movies, the series, everything, that I would be programming more so than I am doing now. Maybe it's because I'm in a bigger team now, but we have to align a lot of processes, a lot of solution directions. And then the execution part of things, that's just the slice of the work and it varies from project to project how big that slice is but it is always a slice it is not the full cake it's always a part of the cake man i made a cake analogy <laughs> i'm really hungry still however comma um it's a lot of people work i didn't expect that i think that's still a misconception coming out of uni or maybe even earlier especially on media out there that we do that 100 percent of the time that is misconception what is the most unexpected or surprising thing you've learned about yourself since starting the podcast the most unexpected or surprising thing is um i like doing this thing a lot a lot more than i thought initially i start things and sometimes i don't think long term what that's going to entail when i started this podcast i didn't think about a year down the line we're now more than two years down the line and i'm still enjoying this and the most surprising thing is i feel like I started pretty good and I've gotten even better. And I look back on previous episodes and I'm like, man, that was horrible. And I look back on recent episodes and I like it more. I still think there's a lot to gain, but I'm actually more comfortable on camera. Like, you know, when you put a camera in front of someone and they just blank out, 
especially when someone says be funny i don't know if i can do that but sitting now in front of a camera with a microphone in front of me i'm a lot more comfortable just be naturally myself i can just talk to the audience i feel like in a more easy way i can structure my thoughts the ums and stuff and the the pauses come more naturally i cut out the ums that's what i was trying to say my brain just still trails on randomly but i feel like i've gotten better in structuring my thoughts it also translates to what i do more on a day-to-day work consultancy wise software engineering wise i think it's better i got more comfortable in vocalizing my opinion if i disagree with something i used to vocalize that already but now it's gotten more powerful because i think i can structure my thoughts better and i can persuade people or convey a certain argument in a better way I think that's been most surprising is how much I can learn and how much I have learned throughout doing this. I'm still horrible at keeping kind of social connections. I feel like maintaining those still a challenge for me. I'm bad at planning. I'm trying to work on that, but I've always been bad at planning. I feel like I've I've gotten better at planning and structuring things just by virtue of having to do that more and more. Still not where I wanted to be. Horrible at planning. Uh but the biggest surprise is getting better at actually having a conversation. I got more comfortable in front of a camera, more comfortable standing in front of a, an audience on stage. And I think that's that's going to help me along my career. By a lot actually. Anything else? Most surprising. Another thing that's most surprising is how easily people say yes to doing a podcast. Initially I thought I had to pay people maybe, and that's very weird, but that's the thought I had. that people wouldn't want to come on to something that is not established and i would maybe be like okay so slip slip them some money no one has ever asked me to pay for them to be on this podcast at all which is i think an amazing thing that people like doing this podcast like having conversations see value in there and enjoy it genuinely enjoy it at the end of a conversation i usually ask like to the guests Now that you've done this podcast, how different has it been from doing other podcasts? And when they give me a compliment like this was very well structured, you're a great host, it was a great conversation, it felt very natural, like those are all the ticks in boxes that I want to go for, right? That was really my vision for the episodes that we're doing that. So that gives like a real sense of fulfillment and happiness when people give that as feedback. So uh I'm really happy with that. Don't have to pay people. saves my budget. <laughs> What is a typical day like for when you record a podcast episode? I'm going to take this in two ways because we have episodes where people dial in remotely and people where and episodes where people are here physically in person. When people are remote, I come into the office and I share them two links, one for the video feed and one for the audio recording. And honestly, we set everything up. I have a TV in front of me behind the camera so I can see the guest and it's like a waiting game because Some people don't confirm. I get that because if I send you an agenda invite, you don't have to confirm. We agreed upon it, and it's just a waiting game to see if they arrive. And luckily, I think it maybe has happened once or twice in the past hundred episodes we've done that someone didn't actually show up. Um, but then I don't even have a way for me to reach out to them usually, because <laughs> yeah, everything is asynchronous. It's all email or like a message or something. In any case, it's a waiting game to see if they show up. Luckily they do. Then we do some framing audio-wise and video-wise and we record the actual episode. It's not that much work, I feel like. Um I tell the 
current project that I'm on that I have a recording. They know what I do. It's not a secret. I don't want to keep it a secret. I like being transparent and clear about things. So I tell them I have a recording. I'll be back online, X, Y, and Z. And everything's fine with that. Now, the thing is, one of my favorite things is when people come in to the office in person. I don't own anything here, none of the studio, none of the office. But when people come in already through the front doors, they're like, what is this? Because the office, honestly, I might put some pictures on the screen here. The office looks incredible. There's a lot of graffiti art. I mean, you see it when you look in the studio. That's the same vibe the office has. And I've been to a lot of offices. I used to have a job that required me to go to certain offices and do stuff there. But those offices don't look like ours. And I feel like it's very arrogant to say my office is the best one. It's not my office anyway, but I like being in the office. It's a very inspirational environment. I like the graffiti. Food's free. I've had guests where I was like, okay, let's have lunch. And they were like, okay, I got a bunch of stuff. Where do I pay? And I'm like, everything's free. And they're like, yay. And I'm like, yay. Because I feel like when people come in, that first kind of experience, coming to the office, experiencing all the things that probably I take for granted now because it's so natural, it reminds me that things are pretty cool and pretty awesome. So some of my favorite things, introducing people to something awesome obviously makes me happy as well. That's the in-person experience. They come into the front door. I guide them to the studio. Sometimes we have a pre-conversation, which is way longer than it should be, (laughs) where we're like, okay, we should have recorded a big chunk of this. Then we sit down. I think a lot of the later people that I've had on are very comfortable in front of a camera. Uh, It's more natural. All the cameras are kind of obfuscated sometimes. Maybe now not as much because we got some bigger, bigger things looking at you. Um, sometimes people are nervous and I used to do a three, two, one start. Welcome to the episode and uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, thanks for coming on. And yeah, that especially makes people nervous. Also makes me nervous. And then we talk over each other, you know, it's a bit awkward in the start. So what we do now is all the cameras are rolling. Also remote, every, everything recording related, everything recording related is already rolling. We have a conversation. Honestly, I ask, what do you do? On a day to day, what are you going to do after this? And then you don't see it, but you jump in kind of 10% maybe into that conversation. Because then at the end, when we're editing, and we don't really do editing, we just put the video feed and the audio feed underneath there. We're like, okay, this is a good point to start the actual episode. Because here's where the conversation is rolling. Everyone's comfortable. And uh, I feel like we're nailing that more and more. Where you come into the episode, conversation's good, topics are being hit. And... Uh, It's just a good time. That's what we're aiming for. So uh, that's a typical day. After this recording, we usually put everything away. And honestly, I go back to work. (laughs) And it's uh, it's hard to context switch sometimes. Um, But I feel like I've made it work more so in my favor. Where I'm like, okay, I give myself a little bit of lead time. Sometimes I do something episode related. I I schedule some things maybe here and there. And yeah, then it's uh, time to get back into things. Or I just go home. Because sometimes it's the end of the day. Uh, sometimes I have two conversations on the same day and two is doable, but three is a max, like three I'm fried. Apparently again, I, I think I said this, I did like a psychological assessment and it came out that I'm more introverted than extrovert. And I know that. And then the person in front of me was like, okay, but I see you do this podcast and you're more so like outward facing, um, at least on socials. Doesn't that require a lot of energy? And I was like, well, I hadn't really thought of that, but 
I think it does. Maybe it does more so unnaturally because I am a little bit more introverted. And apparently if you're more introverted and you do more things that are people facing or you interact with more groups of people, um, it takes more energy. And I was thinking back and I was like, yeah, maybe that might be true. But yeah, we've made, we've made it work. Oh, this one is really cool. What is the most memorable or heartwarming message you've received since starting the podcast? I think the most memorable ones, memorable is really hard because I don't remember the exact words people use. There were YouTube comments where it was just, man, after I read that, it makes my whole day. When people reach out, when they take the time to reach out on LinkedIn specifically, because maybe that's more personable, I like that as well. And I think I'm just going to cheat and I'll put some stuff on the screen. I'll go back to the YouTube comments because I don't remember the exact words people used, but when they say something has made a profound impact, when they say they've really enjoyed a certain episode with someone, or a certain conversation when they're saying, I'm doing a great job, basically. Not a lot of people say that. But when they do, oh man, it just makes my day. Like I, I could be having a bad day. And when I see a comment like that, when they're saying, keep it up, keep up the great work, I don't really require that. But that doesn't mean it doesn't fulfill me. Like I get really happy getting that feedback, seeing how much people enjoy it. When obviously someone has a criticism or critique, I take that to heart and I, I'm like, okay, we can improve on there. Or I ask where that comes from usually because I want to understand where it comes from as well before I change things. But when someone gives me positive feedback in that way, it's amazing. Honestly, it's like one of the best feelings I can have because can you imagine? I put a lot of my time into creating these episodes and I have done that week after week, month after month. And this is now the third year we're going into probably. Um, and when someone acknowledges that, the work that you put in, like I... Again, I don't need it. I don't think I'm a person that needs it. But when it happens, it makes me happy. So please keep doing that. Give us the feedback. It also allows me to improve on anything that we do when it comes to branding, maybe even thumbnails and titles and descriptions, um, or anything else episode-related, topic-related, how the conversation flows. I like getting the feedback and trying to improve on that. And when someone says, good job, I'm like, thank you very much, because I appreciate that. Anything specific? I like when people, so people have also reached out to me and said, listen, I, I'm trying to get into the same domain that you're in. So I like the episodes because of that. But also English is not my native language. So I enjoy listening to the conversation and learning <laughs> English. That's a very memorable one that someone has sent me. And I'm like, I get that because when I used to listen to podcasts, I feel like my understanding of the language more so the the ease of having a conversation got better just by virtue of listening in, listening how to how people talk, how they share their perspectives, what they say, what they don't say. It probably has influenced my communication style, but I can't really pinpoint what exactly has influenced what because it all kind of anchors in your brain and at some point you get better at things and you can't really be like, okay, it's because of this. So I, I acknowledge that. I think it's happened to me as well and I'm happy I can do that for someone else as well. Outside of the podcast and your career, what personal goals are you trying to achieve? Now, this actually varies a lot because, again, I have a broad set of interests and what I did two years ago last year isn't really what I'm doing now, I feel like, sometimes. Right now, I'm trying to get better at bouldering. Like, my hands are awful. I don't think you can see that on camera, but my hands are awful. It's because I'm trying to boulder a lot. Bouldering, for people that don't know, is climbing without a rope and you climb about four or five meters high don't know how much that is in feet, 
maybe like 10. I'll go with 10. In any case, not that high. Um, you follow a certain set of colors, which also for me, because I'm partially colorblind, is kind of challenging. Uh, but you have a distinct start and a distinct end. And flexibility is a big thing. Strength is a big thing. And kind of keeping your balance and closeness to the wall is a big thing as well. And I really enjoy it. It's like a puzzle with your body. And my body is not flexible at all, which makes it very challenging. But I feel like I've, I'm pretty strong strength-wise for my weight ratio. So I can fly up maybe a bit more. Um, and I can do things that other people cannot, which also exhausts me to a T. But in any case, I can do those routes then. Um, but getting more technical at those, I feel like it's good for my body, which means it's also good for my mental health in some way because uh, I can just free flow there. Usually when I'm in, they call it a bouldering gym, I'm there for like two or three hours and I just climb and I don't think of anything. I go with friends. It's a social thing as well. Um, so that is one of my goals that I want to get better at that. Like not on a competitive level because there are ranks and stuff. I just want to get better and I'm competing with me. I'm not competing with others. Like I can see them. They're way better at that than I am. I don't really care. I just want to get better at my own routes and more comfortable in things. So I, I would say that's more so my personal goal. I used to have a lot of goals having to do with calisthenics, like doing a, being able to do a handstand or leveraging myself into a handstand position, like from a push-up standpoint. I like doing more physical challenges, I feel like. Um, but again, it's more so to try and figure out how my body reacts. I used to do a lot of fasting. I still do like intermittent fasting. I've done that for years. Also to see how my body reacts. I'm, I'm very experimenting now that I'm talking about it. I like experimenting a lot. I did the thing where you drink like four liters of water a day and it made me feel better. But what it also made me do is like go to the bathroom a lot and I slept better, but then I woke up more. So that kind of counteracted each other. I think more so personal goal wise, it's right now bouldering. On a professional level, that's still related to my career. I'd like to stand more on stage. I'm going to get the opportunity throughout summer to do that a bit more. Um, so I'm trying to pursue that. And other than that, it's all podcast related or career related. Personal wise, I want to travel more. I feel like I'm going to Portugal actually in a few days. When this airs, I'm already there because this is going to be one of the last ones I'm going to have saved up. And I feel like it's going to broaden my perspective, having experienced more cultures, meeting new people in their own culture as well. Just by virtue of doing the podcast, I already meet a lot of people. But it, being in that environment and experiencing that, I feel like it fulfills me and makes me a better human being, if that makes sense. So I'm trying to do that. Um, and other than that, I don't really have long-term goals, personal goals. Like I want to buy a house, but is that a goal? Maybe it's a goal. Other than that, I don't really set myself goals. I'm very sh maybe short-term sided. I can have a long-term vision, but I'm still more short-term sided because I like pivoting to what I think is interesting. I'd really like to try surfing when I'm in Portugal. I'm going to set that as a goal and I'm going to do that. Anything else? I, I used to be really big into skateboarding. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the personal goals. We'll, we'll leave it to that. Are there any non-coding related podcasts or YouTube channels that you enjoy or find inspiration from? There's a lot, actually. I've been on YouTube, I think, maybe very early on when YouTube looked absolute like shit. Uh, it's gotten a lot better throughout the years. But one of the things I really listen to podcast-wise, I think I've mentioned this in a previous episode, is a podcast called Painkiller Already. And they have about 600 episodes. They have a spin-off through Patreon, second podcast, which has like 
400 episodes. It's more than I'm ever going to create, probably, because a combined 1,000 episodes is insane. But I used to play a lot of video games, Call of Duty, throughout high school. And they were in the scene. Like, I would research how to get better at things. I would see their videos, and I would see they also have a podcast. And I really enjoyed just listening to their stories. It started out more video game related, and then it was more so about them as a person, what they do, what they find interesting, their their certain thoughts on certain topics. And I don't know why it clicked, but it really clicked. And I would listen to that while playing my own video games. And I would do that while playing Call of Duty, when I wasn't playing with other people, while playing Hearthstone. I got really big into Hearthstone when it started uh, on a competitive level. But yeah, I can't, like, when I'm focused on something, at some point you get so good at that that it's more so routine. You're more so in auto mode. And then I would still need something to stimulate my brain. Because for some reason, I'm such a person that needs to multitask to get certain sense of fulfillment. Otherwise, I would just feel like I'm wasting my time. I'm still enjoying this thing. But I could be enjoying it more if I'm doing something else on the side. Now, that something else on the side has always been listening to podcast episodes. And thinking back to especially that kind of era throughout my life, I listened to the Painkiller Already episodes. Some of them twice, some of them even five times because they were my favorite episodes. But... I would just listen to them over and over and over again while trying to play and get better at a certain video game or something like that. Or even while I'm working out or walking or I used to run a lot. Like I would always listen and try and stimulate my brain through podcasts. Like I'm not a person that listens to a lot of music. I try and, and I don't know if that's on purpose, but I associate music with like a certain thing I used to do, which is why a lot of I like a lot of Japanese music because it thinks it makes me think back of a certain anime and that anime was in a certain period throughout my life. And it makes me happy to listen back to those vocals. Like it doesn't even have to be something that someone says. It can also be an instrumental. But that's more so my musical taste. And then podcast is just to learn from, to enjoy. And I like stories. And I remember those stories even now. I'm not going to retell them because I'm I'm awful apparently at storytelling. I'm trying to get better. Uh, but in any case, I think that's one of the biggest podcast inspirations. They always kept referencing Joe Rogan. So at some point, and that was more so like four or five years ago, because uh, Pinky already was a long, long time ago. Uh, I got into Joe Rogan as well. Then he got off of YouTube and into Spotify. And honestly, I didn't have a Spotify subscription, probably because of the whole music relationship I had and I, I've just laid out. So only when someone really interesting would come on the show, I would still listen to that episode. But it is just... It has just faded away, actually. I used to listen to so much Joe Rogan. Now it's just gone. And I think, honestly, it's pretty sad. But uh, YouTube channel related, what do I watch? I used to watch a lot of Casey Neistat because I wanted to live in New York City so badly. And I, st- I think that feeling is still there. Like when I joined, before I joined this job, I had the chance to, uh, actually, I could have started this job earlier than I did in like 2019, January. But my manager was like, okay, you can join and we won't have a project for you. So you can, it's better if you join in Feb, like a few months, a few weeks later. Maybe you have a vacation or maybe you always wanted to do something. I was like, you know what? I will plan a vacation. I had never gone out of Europe. I'm not a person that goes on vacations a lot, especially back then. Now a lot more. Um, But I did a thing. I booked a trip to New York City all by myself. First time abroad, first time traveling alone. And I was like, I'm going to do this because... I've always said I wanted to see the US, especially that city, because media and just kind of 
thoughts and prayers in my head, I feel like. Um, so I went there. And that experience was so cool that obviously I searched YouTube and tried to figure out how to live there. Basically, that was, that was a whole phase. Uh, and I came upon Casey Neistat. Basically, he's a vlogger, blogger, vlogger. He's not a blogger. Um, but he shared daily like his life in NYC. He was also very entrepreneurial, trying to build up his own startup uh, out of that psychological assessment. Apparently, entrepreneurship is a big thing for me as well. Uh, so that was very much in alignment there. Um, so I really enjoyed his stuff. His videography, the way he sets up a video, his stories from start to end with the music in there, the things he says, the cuts and the edits, very inspirational. Like I really enjoy the craftsmanship of those videos, not even the content. I could just listen, maybe not even listen. I can probably put it on mute and just look at the video, look at the cuts, the transitions, and I would still enjoy it just because of that craftsmanship that is that he's put in there. He's not doing it as much anymore. It's quite sad, actually. But um, I think he's trying to pick it back up. I think YouTube channel-wise, that might have been one of the biggest inspirations. Now, lately, obviously, the biggest YouTuber out there, Mr. Beast, like his videos. They're a bit more action-packed and a bit more, yeah, from the start that I would, that would be my preference, I feel like. But obviously, it hits his viewer scores, his audience retention and stuff like that. So, uh Higa, way back when. Yeah. For sure. I uh, watched a lot of his stuff. They had like a whole, uh, was it like like a So You Think You Can Dance, but for YouTubers? I watched that stuff as well. What else? Oh, they had like a YouTuber. You know MTV has like stuff like, how do I, how do I even explain this stuff? I, I need a second for this. It was like a show and YouTubers would come on, up and coming YouTubers, and they would get judged on the videos they create. I don't know what it was called, but they would create these videos in a week time frame, and it would be on a certain topic. For example, you would open up an envelope and it was like, okay, we have to create a video. You have to use all these objects. You have to use a banana and it needs to be a prop in your video. And then at the end of the day, you would see these content creators create a video in like a certain time frame, and they would get judged based on the videos. And then obviously there's elimination rounds, there's drama. Man, that was a good time. I should maybe... Look back at those videos if they're still out there. Nigahigo was one of the jurists. That's where I was going <laughs> with that. You might have been like, man, he took a right. And then I tried to bring it back. But yeah, YouTube nostalgia. I like that a lot. Reminiscing. But what did you like most about going to NYC? What did I like most about NYC? I think just the whole experience of it, man. I booked the ticket. I, I was still living with my parents. I came back down and I was like, I'm going to NYC. Like, I was so proud. I did a thing. I booked a ticket. I'd never booked a ticket in my life. I booked a hotel. It was a super shady hotel, super cheap. And I found the cheapest tickets. Like, the whole trip, it, it didn't cost me a lot because it was in January. And when I went there, I froze my ass off. I still remember. I have pictures. Maybe I'll put it on the screen. There's a frozen fountain at a certain, I forget the park, but uh, I'll put it out there. It was just frozen. I just walked by. I had never seen fountains. There's not a lot of fountains here in uh, in Holland. And that stuff was frozen. I was like, man, it's cold. Didn't even have gloves. Tried to buy gloves. No gloves. The biggest thing I remember from that is just the experience. Meeting people. I tried to be more social. I tried to strike up a conversation with strangers. They would be like, oh, your accent's interesting. Where are you from? I was like, I'm from the Netherlands. Maybe that was my accident back then. <laughs> Not really. But in any case, everyone was really nice. People say people from New York City are really rude. 
no one was rude to me. Everyone was so nice. I was like, this is wonderful. They have amazing sets of parks. Like you can do a lot of things in that city. I went to the Empire State Building, like I did touristy stuff. I went to a play. I went to Chicago on, uh, did they call it Broadway? I think it was Broadway. Yes, they do. Exactly. Broadway. So went to Chicago on Broadway. The sad thing is a lot of those things were a really cool experience, but reminiscing now and even thinking back then, like the Chicago Broadway, you couldn't use your phone. You couldn't film stuff at all. So then I was like, it's really sad that I'm not experiencing this with someone else, basically. But in any case, especially back then, I would have these big headphones on because they were cold and they were keeping my ears warm. I went to all the museums and I was listening to Joe Rogan every single day. Just listening, walking, doing whatever the hell I wanted to do that day. Wake up, look at my phone. I'm going to go there. I'm going to go there. I'm going to go there. And that whole experience, just freedom, my own thoughts. I learned a lot about myself, what I like, what I don't like. I got to be one of those people and I'm, I have a real hard time doing that even now that goes to a restaurant by themselves and I would just eat my stuff. And honestly, I would watch my anime as well. I'd be like, leave me alone. This is my personal private moment. I'm enjoying my restaurant while watching the things I love. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. That was, uh, those are some good times. All right. That's been it, everyone. AMA number four. I am going to number these and I will keep numbering these. So this is number four. As Roald said, I'm going to put out a playlist. So be on the lookout for that. Not that you might be, but there will be a playlist in the future. Hope you've enjoyed it. I always enjoy doing these episodes. Please leave me some feedback in the comments below. I never say that, but I have said it now. So thank you for listening. We'll see you on the next one. Yeah.